As Darren mentioned at the start, we're continuing our, our summer look through the Psalms. And uh, today we're looking at Psalm 30, which very much uh, is a psalm of thanksgiving. Let's, uh, let's read together, shall we? Um, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, it's uh, page 536. And uh, in my version, it's uh, headed a song, a psalm for the dedication of the temple of David. Psalm 30, beginning at verse 1. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said I shall never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Let's pray again, shall we? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we serve such a faithful God. And Lord, we just want to pour out our thanksgiving, our words of praise to you this morning. Lord, I ask now that you would open up your word to us. Would you uh, speak through it? Reveal your truths. Show us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. This definitely doesn't want to um, behave. From time to time, I get the joy and the pleasure of reviewing legal contracts. Pouring through them and working out that uh, as a company, we're not committing ourselves to things that we shouldn't. And, And almost invariably, in these legal documents, there are exclusions around acts of God. So, you know, if there is one of these so-called acts of God, all bets are off. And you've probably seen some of these things in your insurance company, uh, insurance company documents and, uh, uh, and whatever. It's a bit of a catch-all. It's a get-out that if something terrible happens that apparently is beyond human control, um, then actually nobody's liable. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that there is such a negative connotation around acts of God. 
they're usually there to portray the fact that there's been a flood or a terrible earthquake like has been experienced in Italy this last week. A lightning strike or uh, maybe even now uh, an act of terrorism. These are things where people say, whether they believe it or not, God was responsible for that, therefore we're not in control. It's kind of interesting that people use that phraseology for negative things and not those same people using acts of God as a positive thing. Isn't it more right to see acts of God as acts of wonderful things? The very creation that we've already been talking about this morning, how that portrays such a wonderful act of a mighty God. And all the things that we've thanked God for this morning should be acts of God for which we are truly grateful and thankful. But here we have a psalm that whilst it ends up as a word of praise and thanks to Almighty God, there's actually a lot more that sits behind it that I want us to try and unpack. And David, who we're told is the, is the psalmist in this instance, actually fell into a bit of a trap of seeing acts of God, maybe as more at the negative end of the spectrum, until he came to a realization. You see, there's a verse in there that says, when things were going well, I was unshakable. And it's almost as if David is saying, you know, I can do it all myself. I don't need God. When things are going well, I'm on a high, an absolute, uh, um, you know, peak, mountain peak. And, uh, you know, maybe you've experienced that for some of the younger people here. Um, you know, if, uh, yes, it is me, top of Mont Blanc here. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. But, uh, yes, I have experienced mountaintop highs like that, um, and it's a fantastic feeling. And I'm sure for some of you young people who've done so brilliantly in their exams, they felt on a real high that uh, kind of nothing can uh, um, defeat them. And uh, we, we, we're kind of so full of ourselves, aren't we, often in our own achievements. But then when things are not going quite so well, then perhaps we start to cry out to God and say, God, how can you let this happen? And, you know, we live in a world, I think, where people are quite bitter towards God. You know, you hear some quite vitriolic statements. How can God let this happen? And uh, some famous uh, um, TV personalities have gone very public saying, do you know what, when I meet God, if he exists, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Because how could he let young people, um, children, suffer from cancer? How can um, you know, whole kind of nations be under oppression? What kind of God lets that happen? Strange, isn't it, that we cry out to God almost in anger when... Uh, Things are not going our way. And in a sense, that's what David went through. He, you see, if you, if you notice from those verses, he was crying out to God for mercy 
when things were not going his way. I'd like to give a little bit of background to what brought David to this point. We don't know exactly, but if you look at the first uh, um, uh, kind of few verses, you'll see that uh, um, David is thanking God for rescuing from his, him from his enemies, from uh, um, lifting him up from the, the pit, and uh, saving him from the grave. And a lot of commentators say that what David was doing is referring back to an event in First Chronicles, chapters 21 and 22. You'll clearly be familiar with that story. If not, maybe you can do a bit of homework this afternoon and read it, but it's a very interesting story. Because what happens in chapter 21 of First Chronicles is that David decides to undertake a census of his armies. Now, it says in that chapter that it's actually Satan that uh, um, kind of almost goads him, leads him on to do that. But David asks Joab to go out and count how many soldiers he has. And this massively displeases God. You think, oh, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Why would counting your soldiers displease God? But it displeased him to such an extent that God said, I'm going to bring judgment on Israel because you have done this detestable thing. And I'm going to give you three choices for your punishment. And the choices are, you can have three years of famine, three months of fleeing before your enemies, or three days of plague. Wonder which one did you choose? David actually chose the three days of plague. And the result of that was that we're told 70,000 people in Israel died from that plague. All because David counted the size of his army. How strange. But you see, what's sitting behind all this is that God understood David's heart. And he knew that the background to why David was doing this was because, you know, he wanted to put reliance in things that he had, not in reliance on God's strength. David was falling into the trap of being on that mountaintop high of saying, look, I've got all these soldiers. I know that I can beat this, this, and this country. Forgetting that it was God that put him there in the first place. And if you recall, David, the start of his journey was when absolutely he put his entire trust in God and went before Goliath with just a few stones and a slingshot. There he was absolutely putting his trust completely in God and now he's counting his own soldiers to see just how great his own armies are. And that is what distressed God so much. And so we find David in this kind of pit of, uh, of despair, um, his very life at risk because of the plague that, uh, that God has, uh, has poured out on the land. And David ends up coming before God, crying for mercy. He's brought from that kind of mountaintop of, uh, you know, here I've got all these, uh, these soldiers to, God, I know, actually, that you're in control. If anything was an act of God, then 
that story was. <laughs> that was clearly God showing, um, you know, how weak we are in comparison to him. But in that, whilst it was uh, um, punishment, it was clearly uh, a, uh, an act of his mercy as well, as he uh, forgot what was uh, uh, the sins of David. And we get this wonderful verse, isn't it, that we see. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning as God shows mercy. Just briefly, I want to touch on something that's quite a contentious topic, um, but you'll see the relevance of it later on. Why did God judge Israel in the way that he did? Why did he pour out that kind of plague that resulted in 70,000 deaths? And when we look at suffering that goes on in the world today, should we equate it directly with sin? There's no doubt about it that God was judging David and Israel very specifically for that sin of David. So when we look today, when we see sin and suffering, should we say, well, you must have done something wrong, you must have sinned? Very contentious. Some would say, absolutely not. You know, you cannot equate uh, suffering of individuals with things they've done wrong. I would contest that, actually. I would say there's very clear evidence in the Bible to say that when we disobey God, sometimes he disciplines us. Sometimes. But often suffering is a direct result just to the fact that we live in a world of sin. We live in a fallen world um, and uh, that's the knock-on consequences. Just as David was the one that sinned in having his armies counted, so 70,000 others were impacted as a result of that. So in the world that we live in today, because generally we have sinned, then uh, um, suffering comes. But the Bible also says quite specifically that sometimes we have to examine ourselves to see if when we are suffering, is it a result of something that we've done that displeases God? When Paul talks about preparation for communion, he says you ought to examine yourselves before you take communion to see that you're doing it in a right and proper way and that your relationship with God is right. And he goes on to say, and it's a verse often missed out, that... Failure to do that is why many of you are sick and many of you have fallen asleep or died in in that language. There Paul is equating directly the fact that if we approach God in an unworthy manner, then judgment will come as a result of that. There are other examples in James where um, we're told that we should um, very carefully uh, examine ourselves and Um, seek forgiveness for sins and then um, our uh, sicknesses will will be healed. I'm not for a minute saying that all the time the things that uh, uh, we suffer are as a direct result of individual sins, but I think it's a very clear warning that we should uh, explore that. But you'll see the relevance of that later on. So, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 
There's an interesting thing about light and darkness, isn't there, in the Bible, in that the nighttime here is uh, kind of used as a metaphor for times of suffering. The nighttime and the darkness is used as a metaphor for suffering. But the daytime is used as a metaphor for um, joy and thanksgiving. I wonder why that is. There's great examples, aren't there, where when Jesus was crucified, the third hour of darkness descended over the, uh, the whole of the land. The darkness of being separated um, from God. But then in the morning, there was the lightness, the brightness that came with the resurrection, the hope that that brought And there's many other examples, you know, the people that have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Um, Right at creation, darkness was over the deep, and God said, let there be light, as he brought order into the place. Darkness and light are very interesting. And I don't know whether you look at the situation you're in at the minute, do you see yourselves in a place of darkness, a place of night, or in a place of morning, M-O-R-N, not M-O-U-R-N, a place of morning, brightness, light. My favorite time of year is the summer, because I like the long summer days, I like the brightness. And for the first time this year now, you can tell the nights are drawing in, I left for work in the darkness and I got home in the darkness. And I don't like that. I like to get up and see the, uh, um, see the sun shining. And I like to see the sun set in the evening. As long a day as possible. But you know, sometimes we have to face winters, don't we? Where the nights are very long and very cold. We can't always be in the summertime where the evening seems to go on forever and uh, the darkness is, is very short. I wonder where are you? Are you going through a long, cold night? Or are you celebrating a morning and a daytime? One of my heroes is uh, Bear Grylls. I don't know if you ever watch any of him. He's uh, um, kind of famous for these extreme uh, expeditions he goes on and often spends um, nights out in the wilds. That's his idea of a, uh, a good night out, I guess, um, uh, sleeping out in the jungle somewhere, uh, roasting himself a nice uh, snake that he's caught. Um, um, but I was, uh, I was watching his um, Born Survivor program the other night. I, lo- I love it. Take a lot of my inspiration from that, and uh, a lot of my walk planning comes from there, Ebony. Um, but uh, he'd uh, um, he was staying in, in Ireland actually, and he'd found himself a little cave to stay in, and he said, "Right, I'm going to sleep the night here. It kind of looks all right, um, but it suddenly started pouring with rain, and more and more kind of rain came into this cave that he was staying in. He was getting cold and, and miserable, and uh, 
you know, he was speaking to the camera and saying, this is pretty miserable even for me. And he said, sometimes in the middle of the night when it's um, kind of really cold and you're, uh, and you're starving and, and freezing, sometimes you've just got to lift your chin up and pray for morning to come. I thought, wow, what a great thing. And, and, and Bear Grylls is, is uh, famous for his Christian faith, and it's just so wonderful how he weaves that into uh, some of the things that he does. But sometimes in the middle of the night when it's cold and dark and wet, you've just got to lift your chin up and pray for morning. Because things don't always work out well, do they? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I'm sure you've uh, watched the Olympics. And uh, this is a picture of, uh, you know who that is? Mo Farah, yeah. 10,000 meter final. He trips up on the last lap, finds himself flat on the ground. For him... That kind of nighttime of despair was pretty short because he managed to pick himself up and wah, win gold. Fantastic. And sometimes God is gracious like that. He will pick us up from uh, where we are and, uh, you know, we go through uh, relatively short periods of kind of despair and, uh, and what have you. But it doesn't always work like that for us, does it? Cast your minds back to Barcelona Olympics, 1992. Anybody know who this is? Derek Redmond. Yeah. 400 meter semi-final. Derek Redmond at the time was the great British uh, record holder for that, and one of the favourites for this race. And here is that race.
I'm sure you know um, the story and, the, and who that man was that came to help Derek Redmond. It was his father. It was his father that had been with him, training him, um, helping uh, day, day and night, um, and uh, saw his son in trouble, flat on the track, and saw him through. Oops, have we lost the... Uh, go back one. We lost it well. Um, you know, he went there to pick his son up in his greatest time of need. You know, I, I don't know if you could uh, kind of lip-read what he was saying, but as the marshals were coming in, it was like, get off, I'm his father. Yeah? And what a wonderful picture that is of God, isn't it? That we may experience in life times when we're down and out, where we stand no chance. You know, we can't, like Mo Farah, pick ourselves up and go on to, uh, to win a gold medal. We have no choice. You know, we might be in relationships that are completely shattered. We might have health problems that will, you know, on a worldly basis, never um, seemingly recover from. We might be in the deepest, darkest depression that we can't possibly lift ourselves up from. But God says, get off, I'm your father. And whilst night, for some, might be a long winter night, and that morning may not come this side of eternity, Actually, God is a faithful God who's with us all the way, will never let us go. And we see some of the wonderful verses. Verse 11, he turned wailing into dancing. He's clothed me in joy. And as I said, for some, you know, that morning may not come in this, uh, in this world. But if we look at Revelation 22.5, going back to the whole night and darkness thing, there we're promised in the, in the revelation that Jesus brought, there shall be no night there, and they don't need any candle or light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. You see, night time lasts for a short time. But joy comes in the morning and joy will be everlasting, ultimately. What a wonderful promise that is. No wonder David is giving um, thanks and praise at what God's done, even though he's remembering back to the things that he's done wrong. Even though he knows that he was uh, um, kind of responsible for things that caused so much suffering to Israel. Yet he can praise God because he knows that God is faithful and that his anger just lasts for a short time, but his mercy is everlasting. What a wonderful God we serve. And maybe you are at the moment a Mo Farah and, you know, times of suffering are very short. They last less than a lap. Or maybe you're a Derek Redmond at the moment. Whatever, get your chin up and pray for morning, because it will come. I just want to go back to verse 9. 
just briefly. Verse 9 says, What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? David's essentially saying there, when I'm right down in the depths, in the dirt, can any praise come from that? And I was thinking about this word dust. And I was thinking, let's go back right to creation. What are you all made from? Dust. God took the dust of the earth and he created mankind. So can anything good come from dust and dirt? Yeah, it can. So even though you might be having a hard time, can good things come from those struggles? Absolutely. And many times God uses hard times and he uses struggles in order to strengthen us, to refine us, to make us into uh, uh, better people understanding of, uh, of, of God's love and his mercy and understanding of the things that others go for. He uses those to make us more compassionate and more aware and more wise. So when you're going through that long night and praying for the morning to come, don't see it as a, um, a kind of depressing time. See it as a, God, what are you trying to teach me through this time? There's a, a lovely song that I'd like to play for you now that is, uh, um, has the lyrics, you made beautiful things out of the dust. And it talks about how God created us as yet, uh, uh, yes, how created us. But um, also, I think it refers very much to, you know, when we feel down and we feel like we're in the dust, God can take that and create beautiful things from it. So I want uh, just to use this song just as a, a bit of a reflection. Think through. If you're in that place right now where um, you feel down in the dust and the dirt and there's no hope, what's God trying to say to you? What's he trying to do with you through that?
turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Amen.